invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the collection of prayers and songs in the Old Testament that we call the Psalms. Last year as a church family, we worked through uh, the New Testament, looking at every uh, letter of the New Testament and how it began and how it ended. And we're beginning this year and at this point planning for the entirety of the year to work through the Psalms uh, week by week, starting today uh, with the first Psalm. And doing that, realizing that not only do these Psalms express uh, the events that took place uh, in the life of the children of Israel, uh, but that these were the very Psalms and scriptures that our Lord Jesus would have learned in his youth and regularly taught from in his ministry as he tried to explain to people who he was and why he came and what it was that he was doing. Uh, the Psalms were a regular reference point in his own understanding of why he came and how he offers hope to the world. And so as we go back to the Psalms, we will see what they meant in their original context for the children of Israel, but it'll also give us a window into the life of our Savior and all the good that he has done for you and for me. And so this is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And that concludes uh, Psalm 1. Uh, this collection of what is 150 psalms, uh, they were written by different people uh, experiencing uh, very different circumstances. Some of them were written uh, on a good day, celebrating a, a victory. Some of them were written in really difficult and challenging times and they express uh, a lot of frustration and doubt. Uh, we have a, a psalm from Moses in the early days of the nation of Israel. We have psalms from David and from Solomon, from uh, anonymous sources. We have psalms before the exile and psalms after. And so this one book of the Bible is actually a beautiful sort of summary of the whole of Scripture. Uh, giving expression to what it means to follow God uh, in a variety of times and places and in a variety of circumstances when things are going well and when things are really challenging. And at some point, these 150 psalms were put together in the collection that we have them now and arranged for us uh, to be able to um, understand. And uh, it's believed by most that Psalm 1 was then uh, written as an introduction to the collection that we see, and likely not only Psalm 1, but Psalm 2 as well, which we'll see uh, next week. And so here is the opening, the, the first song uh, of the remaining songs that comes. And as an introduction, I submit to you that it lays a foundation of hope for each and every one of us. So this is the introductory psalm, and it lays a foundation of hope that we're supposed to glean 
from every other psalm that we read. Because the, the announcement of the psalm is that there is blessing. Uh, you could translate the word blessing happiness as well. There, there is real joy, blessing, and happiness available to you and to me. And that blessing as the psalm unfolds is found in our knowing the one who made us and created us and in relationship with the one who made us. There is a path for each and every one of us to pursue joy. And this conclusion at the end of the psalm, this recognition that the Lord knows everything that's going on. The Lord knows the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked will perish. And so uh, the psalmist is saying we, we have every reason to pursue joy and happiness in him. He is the one who made us. He's given us his word to guide us. He's watching over each and every one of us. He knows what's going on among us. And he is also the one before whom we'll all stand one day. And so this world makes sense. It was created with a purpose and it has a destiny. And the psalmist is saying, and the, the conclusion of that destiny is that the God who is good will do what is right. That the God who is good will do what is right. That there will be reward, there will be punishment, there uh, will be justice in the end. And we can know that right now as a foundation for our hope. Whether we experience that in the immediacy of our circumstances right now or uh, sense this joy and blessing that the, the overarching theme of this psalm and all the psalms and all of scriptures is that in the end, we will sing with our Lord, that he will be victorious, that the one who made us, the one who's given his word to guide us will also be the one to ensure that everything that is done is ultimately right, that nobody gets cheated, that nothing gets forgotten. And we have every reason, therefore, to have confidence uh, that whatever we're struggling with here and now will ultimately be made right by the God who's given us this foundation. And so the Psalms include, as uh, we will go on and see, that there's a lot of expression of fear, of frustration, of depression, of animosity, of joy, of wonder, uh, all of those uh, real experiences that we have in our flesh and in our hearts are given voice in the Psalms. But the way this starts and ultimately the way the Psalms end is to say, uh, with all those varied experiences, the full and final expression will ultimately be that we will stand before God and say, that he has done what is right and what is good. And we can have that foundation already laid, that nothing will, um, will slip his mind or nothing will happen outside of his eye that we need to worry about. And these psalms are arranged then in five books. Uh, and the end of each book ends with praise, with worship with a, a doxology that is an invitation of the people of God to say, after everything else we have said, let us also say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Let's worship him for who he is 
and for all that he's brought us through. And we have that reason to have hope. And we have that even here now at the beginning of this new year. None of us know what the year will entail for, for all of us. We don't know what challenges might come. But this foundation that is laid for us in his word is this reminder to each and every one of us that he knows that we are here for a reason. There is a destiny and a purpose which he is going to accomplish for each and every one of us. And so it doesn't mean we have every reason to think everything will go the way we want it, but it does mean that we have every reason to start every day and every year with a sense of hope that he will be with us. And if we have that sense of expectation, it should cause us to live our lives in a different way with a, a, a confidence that even when we don't have what we think is enough to get through the day, he has uh, enough for us. And so it's a collection, like I said, of a variety of prayers and songs. But overall, if you were to <laughs> try to label the whole of the Psalms and say, what, what are they trying to communicate to us? Uh, they're communicating to us that we have every reason to hope in him, that the God who is good will do what is right. And so then hopefully that invites you to say, well, I want to listen to track two and then track three and, and track four. And I can even go down some of the valleys that will be expressed even in the dark parts of the human heart because I know ultimately where this is going to end. And these psalms give expression to that, uh, the fullness of our heart and soul and, and mind. But ultimately, put together to invite us to continue to keep on singing these songs, to continue to express this hope that every one of us has reason to have in the Lord and in the Lord alone. Uh, it makes me think of... Uh, we were able to enjoy just uh, in the last month uh, the opportunity to watch the World Cup. And when I was first trying to figure out how to watch it uh, at home because we didn't have a specific streaming service that I thought would actually enable us to watch it, uh, I looked up and I found, you know, there's a few games that I can get access to without any streaming service if I watch them in Spanish. And I was like, you know, actually... It's really a whole lot more entertaining to watch uh, soccer in Spanish commentary, even when you don't understand it, than when you uh, watch it in English. They're just more vibrant in how they call the game. And so the first few games, uh, we watched it, but then eventually uh, that was cut off after like the third day of games being played, and I had to pay for some service in order to watch it. But now we'd watch the first few in Spanish, and so even though we had a myriad of options, it was truly just more enjoyable to watch it with this sort of background commentary going in that we watched the rest of the games in Spanish. Uh, and again, understanding very, very little of what was taking place, but being able to sense the overall emotion and joy and anticipation of those who were commenting on it. And then it got later uh, into one of the semifinal games and we weren't able to watch it live and so we were watching the highlights. And I pulled up the highlights and we started watching them and it, it took a little bit, but eventually we all realized we could understand what was being said. So we were watching the highlights in English and then a goal was scored. And then there was almost no emotion that was expressed when the goal was scored. And so then my voice like, looked at each other and said, they scored a goal. And I said, yes, why aren't they yelling? I said, because we're watching it in English. 
And so then they added the commentary and just all yelled, goal, and got really excited as they expressed it. And then Levi turned to me and he said, you know, you're right, Dad. I can understand now what they're saying, but it's not really worth understanding. I'd rather watch it in another language. I'd rather hear the emotion and the joy of the commentators uh, who are excited about it. And here again, when we think not only of the Psalms, but of the whole of Scriptures, if we do want people to give us a listen to what they have to say, that's a challenge for us. Not just to make it understandable, can they understand what they're saying, but are we saying anything worth understanding? Do we have a hope that transcends the grave? Do we believe that come what may, that our God who is good will do what is right? Or do we ourselves live in such a way that we're not really sure why we're here and we don't really live our lives by the counsel that he's given to us and we don't seem to have this overarching hope that whatever happens, we have reasons to sing. I submit to you as Christians uh, who have his word that tell us the stories of his faithfulness over time and his goodness that he does desire for each and every one of us to live lives of blessing, of happiness and joy, not based on our circumstances, but because of the foundation of the hope that he has laid, that we have every reason to sing and that the theme song of our lives, in spite of all of life's challenges, should be one of enduring joy. Uh, once a, as a family before bed, we're working through a hymn, uh, one hymn per week, uh, trying to get our kids to hopefully memorize all the verses of the songs. And a few weeks ago, the hymn that we uh, were working on was Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. And for me, it was a really convicting uh, hymn to read through, uh, to, to be able to not only say the words, but to be challenged by them. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. So it's convicting. You're trying to get your kids to memorize a song, and we're saying he's the giver of immortal gladness. That doesn't mean I have to be happy all the time. It doesn't mean I can never rebuke them for not listening or not doing what they're supposed to do. But could they step back and say, on the whole, I can see this immortal gladness that comes from somewhere outside of you but is manifesting itself through you. And then the last verse, mortals join the happy chorus with the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning over us. Brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. What a, what a powerful hymn which acknowledges that there are strifes in this world, there are challenges that each and every one of us will face and have to endure. But on the whole, are we people who are exhibiting the type of hope that God wants us to have in him? And this psalm is not only an introduction that lays this foundation of hope, but I submit to you, it's also an ideal. It expresses an ideal that we then are supposed to receive as an invitation to wrestle. 
And so blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If you're honest with yourself, you should already be pretty convicted by verse 2 to say, I don't, I don't know that I meditate and delight in the law of the Lord day and night. It starts in the negative by saying that we should not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And there it's expressing a totality. Uh, it, it is actually the, the opposite of what's expressed in Deuteronomy 6 when uh, the instruction comes to Moses to give the law to the people. And then he says, and make sure that you're teaching your children while you're walking about the day, while you're standing with them, while you're sitting with them. Basically, God is saying through Moses, make sure you're instilling this law all day, every day, in whatever you're doing. That, that worship and obedience to God is a way of life. It's not just something you do one day of the week and then you kind of put it on the side, but that these are rules and wisdom and principles that are supposed to be for you and for me for all the time. And we are blessed when uh, we can say no to and reject the counsel of the wicked and the way of sinners and the seat of scoffers and make only and always our delight and meditation God and his word. But there again, most of us, if we were then to say now, how well do you feel like you do that? <laughs> how, how many days in a week would this sort of describe you or me? Most of us would not raise our hands eagerly to say, oh yeah, this is me every day all the time. In each and every circumstance, I can reject the voice of the counsel of the wicked and the way of sinners and the seat of scoffers. And I'm constantly delighting in and meditating upon the law of the Lord. And so it's expressing an ideal in the very same way that then Jesus, a wise teacher, would announce blessing in a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And as he announced that blessing, he would in the same way say, you have heard it said you should not murder, but I want to take you back a little bit further and say, actually, the blessing is not only if you don't murder, but if all the way even in your heart of heart, you don't get angry with the desire to murder, that you don't meditate upon violence, that you don't crave vengeance. And so the blessing is not that you just don't act upon it, but from the inside out, you don't even desire it. And then he would say again, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I'm telling you the real blessing is not again if you just avoid the action of it, but if from the inside out you don't lust after what, does not, uh, what is not appropriate for you, that you love him from the inside out. And to read the Sermon on the Mount is to read Psalm 1 and be like, oh my goodness, I don't know anybody that is that obedient all the time. <laughs> that could uh, never struggle with anger or the desire for vengeance, that would never struggle with lust and the temptation to sin. And so it's everything that's being said here is true, that there is real blessing found in delighting in the law of the Lord, in rejecting the counsel of the wicked. But it should cause all of us, as we chew on it, as we meditate upon it, to say, okay, but what do I do when that doesn't describe me? And I believe he's ruling over the world. I believe he reigns, and we have reasons for hope. But this is saying that 
the righteous prosper in everything they do. It's like fruit that grows and the tree, it never, uh, it never fails to produce the fruit that it's supposed to produce. And the wicked are blown away. They don't last. But why, when I'm looking around, does it seem like the wicked are actually prospering? That they are pretty successful at the things that they do. And why does it seem sometimes so hard for the righteous? who desire good things. And so this opening psalm that expresses this ideal also is an invitation for us to wrestle with what it is saying. Uh, Israel had his name changed to Israel because he was the one that wrestled uh, with the angel. And so we're supposed to chew on it and wonder and say, okay, I believe that that's true. I believe that God is just. I believe he'll always do what is right. And so why does so much that happen in this world is wrong and so then as you continue to move on into the psalms you'll see them give voice to this you'll see them wrestle with why do bad things happen why is there suffering even for those who are pursuing righteousness and then uh, you get to psalm 32 and eventually the psalmist again begins the same way by announcing blessing but the psalmist there in Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Which is good news that we all need as we wrestle with Psalm 1 and say, I, I don't love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind all the time. I am challenged in so many ways to love other things. And so while I need Psalm 1, I need more than Psalm 1. <laughs> I need, I need other news of blessing and goodness that's offered. And each of us is invited in the singing of this song to wrestle with those things in our own lives, which I believe then ultimately points us to the next way that we as Christians then read these psalms is to acknowledge the beauty and the wonder of the incarnation. That while we would say, I, I can't and I don't, and I don't know anybody who lives Psalm 1 perfectly, but we could say, I know someone who did. I believe in someone who loved the Lord this way, who was completely and totally able to reject the counsel of the wicked and the way of sinners and scoffers, that his delight was in the law of the Lord. He meditated upon it day and night, and he was like a tree planted by streams of water that produced its fruit and never withered. I know someone who could speak to the waters and say, be still, and they were still. I know someone who could say to the demons, get out of that woman, and they had to listen. I know someone who, when he needed to feed 5,000 people, he could. Anything and everything that he desired to do, he bore beautiful fruit in doing it. Because he was the one who in the incarnation was the God become man for you and for me to live out the beauty of this Psalm 1 for us to all now see it in a person wonderfully and gloriously lived out. And he did that even when he ultimately went upon a cursed tree and gave his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. And that's something to meditate upon. Psalm 1 gives this beautiful image 
of the righteous one being like a tree that is constantly producing fruit and never, never withers. And here our Savior in fulfillment and completeness of this psalm himself ends up on a cursed tree. Suffering. But we again as Christians believe that he did that for you and for me. That he has given us the hope that we need in showing us his great love for each and every one of us. So that we have reasons not only to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night but to meditate upon the wonder of our Savior who embodied this in a way that none of us ever could. And he did it for you and for me. And so then lastly, that gets us to an invitation that we're supposed to see in this psalm. And so we have it as an introduction that gives us a foundation of hope and ideal that it is an invitation to wrestle. In his incarnation, we have all the reasons in examining his life to believe and that you and I would then go back to it and say, and so all the more, we should receive in this psalm this invitation as a call to worship, that we would desire every day of the week and every area of our lives, heart, soul, and mind, to follow after him, to resist the voices of the wickedness and the scoffers who want to keep drawing us away from God and his will and his ways, and ultimately to pursue uh, what he teaches us. As Jesus concluded his own sermon that he gave in announcing blessing, that for everybody who hears his words and does them, they'll be like those who build their house on a rock. And whatever comes, however big the storm, they'll last. But those who ignore his words and reject his counsel will be like those who build their house on, a, on sand. And when the storm comes, ultimately, their house will crumble. And so he's painting the same imagery of Psalm 1. Why not worship him? Why not follow him? He promises that there is no hardship that ultimately the people of God will not be able to endure and overcome. And for the wicked, there is no pleasure that will ultimately last. And so why not choose to begin worshiping him? Why not choose to follow him? When we are tempted in so many ways to hear the counsel of the wicked, to meditate upon the advice of sinners and scoffers, why not resist that and instead commit ourselves to listen to him and to his way? And so we still need this psalm today. There are so many people vying for our attention there's so many voices trying to speak to us, to get us to, uh, to ultimately from the inside out dwell on things that would violate God's will and God's ways. You can take one Old Testament book, uh, the book of Proverbs. And here in the book of Proverbs, that there are two voices that are constantly trying to draw us away from the wisdom that God is trying to give us. And the, those voices are in the area of anger and violence and lust and sexual perversion. And Proverbs is a king saying to a prince, reject those voices. Don't listen to them. They're going to be constantly calling you away from God's will and God's word. It, reject them. Believe that it's the God who made you who knows ultimately how he has designed you. 
And if human life is sacred, we want to take it seriously and we don't want to constantly dwell and meditate upon the harming of other people. And the God who's given us this life and made it in such an amazing way has said that our sexuality is sacred. And anybody who's trying to get us to embrace anything that does not reflect his wisdom for us and how he created us and designed us and told us here's the path to life is still something that we need the wisdom to reject, to say, God, I want to worship you from the inside out and follow you completely and trust that you know what's best. Because for the righteous, for those who follow after him, every challenge that comes our way can ultimately not bring us down. We will overcome. We will endure. We will last. For those who think they can build their life on any other foundation. This is a strong warning. But you can't. You shouldn't. And so stop. Turn. And come back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can see in your son the perfect obedience and delighting in your law that gave him the the beautiful power and ability to accomplish all that he set out to do. And Father, we believe that as you look upon this room, that you are still ruling and reigning, that there are storms in our lives that you can speak calmness over and stillness that there are demons and forces of uh, the enemy that are constantly wrestling with our minds and our hearts, trying to draw us away from you, that, Father, you can rebuke and exercise dominion and authority over. Father, we trust that you are still inviting us to real, true, lasting blessing and happiness and joy in you. Whenever we doubt that you will do what is right, Father, we pray that you would continue to remind us of who you are, of what you have done in the past, so that we can continue uh, today and tomorrow and each passing day, continue to meditate upon your goodness and find in it the grace that we need uh, for all that life will bring our way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.